0: Welcome from me as well. It's great that you're here that we can celebrate service together And praise our Lord How many reasons does God give us to do exactly that? He is good Before we start with the sermon I'd like to pray Lord, we thank you that you are so wonderful. We thank you that you are our friend and savior and our loving father. Thank you that we have everything in you that you will ever need. And we need your truth especially in our lives. And I thank you that your word is the truth. And I ask that you will reveal your word to us today. That you will speak to us. That you will open up our hearts. Holy Spirit, please, um give us the, the right interpretation of your truth. Please destroy all lies and fill us with your word of truth. Amen. Amen. We are in Matthew 7 today, verses 1 to 11. So we are now in the third and final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. In the verses that we will look at today, Jesus gives us an incredible promise. Ask and it will be given to you. Wow. (laughs) Ask and it will be given to you. We will once again look at God as our Father who knows how to give us good things when we ask him for it. But before Jesus looks at our eyes, because it's his heart's desire that we can all see clearly, so he will draw our attention to a possible lock in our eye that can block our spiritual sight. We read the first five verses. So chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the lock that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a lock in your own eye? you hypocrite. First take the lock out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. At the beginning of the sermon of the mount in chapter 5 verse 20 Jesus asks us as his followers to have a greater righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees. Because they try to make themselves more righteous by condemning others. But they were experts in judge the sin in other people, but not to see their own um injustice, their own um they had that lock in their eye. Um, In all my years um, as a Christian, I came to the conclusion that um, many Christians, and so um, I as well, in their first couple of years with Jesus, they go through a phase of legalism, where they are very similar to the Pharisees and the scribes. They condemn the life of others out of a um, self-righteous attitude. I don't know if you know this from your own life or from others. I really know this from my own life and I'm very grateful to God that he um, pulled me out of there. And it's exactly this kind of judgment that Jesus condemns here. And he also says, the measure that you um, use to measure others, it will be measured to you. So interestingly, we are usually quite gracious when it comes to ourselves, but we have a very high standard when it comes to the life of others. But Jesus is very clear here: where we harshly condemn other people, the same measure will be put to us. So the way how the w- the way that we treat the people around us. It has an influence on how God treats us. I think that's well worth considering. And it should be a strong motivation for us to meet our neighbor with love and grace and mercy and not with coldness and bitterness or harshness. David Guzik, a commentator, says... We should only condemn um, another person's actions when we are conscious that we are judged ourselves. And we should consider how we want to be judged. I think this is really precise, really on the point. So we are primarily responsible for our own life. And what unbelievable grace and mercy did we receive from God that he forgave us our um, sin and injustice so who are we that know that we are not single bit better than other people to judge others and by condemning others we automatically put ourselves in a higher position than the other person and that's a pride and self righteous position that we should not take. But not to judge doesn't mean that we shouldn't um address misbehaviour or sin at all. And that we had it doesn't mean that we have to tolerate that. Just because we're not better ourselves. No, that would be a wrong interpretation. So we should not come to that conclusion, because this is about the right attitude, the right spirit. In Galatians 6, 1, it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So it's not wrong to address a transgression, a sin in the life of another person. But it has to happen uh, with the right kind of spirit. So not condemning and self-righteous from above, like in hierarchy, but in a spirit of gentleness. So our attention has to be to help the other person to uplift him and not to condemn him. Sadly, it's often um, the way that Jesus shows us here with this picture of the speck and the lock. So they're the hypocrites and the self-righteous who are looking for the speck in their brother's eye, but they have that lock in their own eye that makes them blind for their own guilt and their own inadequacies. And I think only the one... um, is able to address sin in another person's life in the right spirit, who sees clearly the one who has grasped God's unbelievable grace in his own sinfulness. Because that person will be, um, sympathetic, but will also, um, wrestle for that clarity in the heart of, um, for the heart of the other person. And will always be prepared to shower that other person with grace. Jesus gives us a good example for that with the story of the adulteress. So that story is in John 8, 1 to 11. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her, <laughs> and, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus says about himself in John 12, 47. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So it was Jesus' heart to save this woman from sin, not to condemn her. So he gave her his grace. What doesn't mean that he tolerated her sin, because at the same time he said, go, and from now on, sin no more. But he doesn't condemn her, but he saves her, he gives her grace. That's that amazing grace of God. How different is Jesus from the religious leaders back then? And how different is he from us? So let's look at verse 6, back in Matthew 7. There it says, Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. To be honest, I think that's a verse that's really difficult to understand. And I think that Jesus in this context meant the Self-righteous and hard Pharisees and scribes that didn't grasp or understand this amazing grace of God that came to earth through Jesus and um, that we just saw and how he treated the adulterers. They didn't recognize that and I think they also didn't want to recognize it they felt good in the position that they had where they could condemn other people in their hierarchy and this precious message of the gospel just easily rebounded straight off them he didn't they didn't want to hear it it's like throwing pearls before pigs they have such a precious thing and they don't grasp, but they don't want to understand. So there was pearls before pigs. And it's not just that they um, stepped on holiness with their feet. They also tore those apart that heard and listened to Jesus' message and accepted it. It's not just that they didn't want to take it for themselves they also wanted to keep others from taking it and accepting the message. They wanted to destroy that message. I think that's what Jesus means here with this verse. Let's read the second part. In my Bible it has the title encouragement to prayer. Those are verses 7 to 11. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? What a great promise! Ask and it will be given to you. To interpret these words in the right way, it's important that we um, enlarge our focus here, expand our focus. So we go out of this single verse like a drone, we go above a bit to see the bigger picture. So what's the context that this promise is embedded in? It's the Sermon on the Mount that we have to look at as a whole from chapter 5 to chapter 7. In the Sermon on the Mount Jesus describes to us um how we as christians as children of god and citizens of the kingdom of god should live in this world in the beginning we looked at um the beatitudes that describe the character traits of a christian we know blessed are the sp- um the poor in spirit the meek the ones who thirst for justice the um the merciful and the ones who have a pure heart He goes on to say, you are the salt and the light of the world. And he calls us to reconcile with one another to a life where sin has no room between us. He talks about love that we should have for our enemies. And he talks about um, the attitude of heart that we should have when we pray, when we give and when we are fasting. And he also speaks about treasures in heaven um, that we should collect and also says that we should not be worried because the Father in heaven sees us and he knows what we need before we even ask him. And in chapter 6, verse 33, that's what we looked at last week, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God. That's a central verse in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God. And what this means is that we should seek the new life that Jesus describes here in the Sermon on the Mount. We should seek those character traits. Make that your first priority in your life. So gain those character traits, hunger for justice, be salt and light in this world, love and be merciful, don't give any room to sin. And focus yourself on eternity, collect treasures in heaven. That yearning and desire, this seeking at uh, the kingdom of God, that has to be the foundation for the way that we pray. How Jesus, um, that's what Jesus also showed us in chapter six, um, through the Our Father prayer, where it says, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done that's how we should pray God and his kingdom and his will in focus and if it's if this is your attitude if this is your heart then we will ask and we will receive we will seek and we will find and we will knock and it will be open to us Jesus describes this great and new life that we should have in him so look at what we spoke about last week. How liberating is this message that we don't have to worry because we have a father in heaven who um who looks after us, who cares for us and who knows what we need. But do we all have this new life in the fullness that Jesus describes it as um in the Sermon on the Mount? no but do we want it do we hunger for it i really hope so cuz that's what the sermon on the mount um that's why the sermon on the mount is there to make us hunger and thirst for this new life that we should have in jesus and if we hunger for that then let us ask for it then let us seek it and let us knock on the door so long until Jesus opens um, it to us and we can step into that new life that we should have in Jesus that he describes here. So there's one thing that we can know for sure. We have a loving Father in heaven who didn't spare his own Son but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's already given us the most precious thing, the biggest gift. Why should he hold anything bad um, back from us that's good for us? God has a plan. He's um, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. God wants to change us into that image of his son. Jesus is the living sermon on the mount he lifted if we want to know what it looks like to live a life according to the Sermon on the Mount, then we have to look at Jesus. That's the image that God wants to turn us into, into meekness and justice, mercy, grace and just fullness of love. And with this plan in mind that God has for all of us, He guides Our life he's had this plan in his on his mind all the time and according to that he reacts to our um, when we ask him and when we seek him and when we knock as our father he's interested in us for him it's about it's all about us sometimes we think God doesn't see us But for him, it's all about us. He wants to bless us and he wants to help us. And in that, he sees us as um, a complete person with all the challenges of daily life, in our job, in school, in university, with all our desires and all our needs, with all our fears and our needs. He looks at us lovingly. And he only has good things in mind. He will never give us anything bad. If we ask him for bread, he will not give us a stone. He will only give us what is good for us. That's what Jesus says here in verse um, 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I love my children, my four girls. And I have only good things for them in my mind. But even with the best intentions, I can make mistakes. Because I'm just a human. That doesn't happen to God. He doesn't make mistakes. And isn't that just so... um, good to know that he doesn't make mistakes isn't that just really comforting we um, we keep getting into situations where it looks like God has made a mistake where um, it looks like he doesn't see us he maybe overlooked us with what we're going through at the moment but in hindsight we usually see how God used that situation in our life for good God does not make mistakes. And in every situation that we can be in, that's just so comforting to know. Especially when we feel so bad and we don't understand the world. We still know God doesn't make mistakes. That's what he says here. And as we as parents don't give everything to our children that they ask for because we know what's good for their life. That's also why our Heavenly Father won't give us everything that we ask for because he only has good things um, in mind and not everything that we ask for is good. So looking back at my life, I am just as grateful to God for the things that he didn't give to me, that I really wanted to have. Um, So I'm just as grateful for that as I am for the um, things that he gave to me. Because he knows best and that's what we have to trust in. So just think about, he has this eternal vision for our life. He has this great plan he um he has the past and our present, but he also has the future. He knows where he wants to bring us and where we can go and he knows what's good for us. He's chosen us. he started the work in us, and he wants to finish it. He's got that eternal vision. He now knows our next day and He sees so much more in us than we see in ourselves. And prayer just brings us into that living relationship to our Father like nothing else. That's why He wants to lead us. Let us expect everything from Him and He, because He rejoices in that. Many a commentator um, sees a progressive intensity in these verses that goes from asking to seeking to knocking. We start with just asking for a a thing and nothing happens. And then we start to seek the Lord with all our heart. We start to wrestle with him over this thing. And then we start knocking because nothing is... Um, we knock because nothing is happening, like open up, Lord, please listen to my prayer, do something. I think that's true. We can and we we should um pray with power and with passion and with perseverance, so not just um talk like okay, may either it happens or it doesn't happen. No, we should have power, we should have passion, we should have perseverance. We can even um, get on the nerves of our father. That what, that's what we see in Luke eleven five to 8. In this context, it's about exactly the same verses. And Jesus said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, uh, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Isn't that... Unbelievable. This is what Jesus takes as an example for how we should pray. We can bother our father. We can be perseverant. Because of his impudence, this friend got what he asked for. I think this is unbelievable. And I think this is just so... Showing for me for how often I pray without perseverance how often I um, give up But we can and we should because this is what leads us into deep relationship with God Because the father rejoices in a fighting heart that believes in the goodness and the love of the father so let us pray and come to him with the right kind of heart and expect everything from him our father has all the resources to bless us spiritually emotionally and physically we only have to ask for it in all perseverance and in faith God has a plan. Let us grasp this plan. And everything that we need for that, let us ask him for it. He has chosen us. He has called us. And he equips us. He's the one who gives us everything that we need. We by ourselves are not able to um, become like Jesus. That's God's unbelievably big work in us through his Holy Spirit we are the ones who wrestle for that who ask for it who have to hunger for it and God is so willing to give us that life that Jesus has liberated us to Amen Lord I thank you I thank you so much for the Sermon on the Mount. I thank you that it speaks to (coughs) so many of us. That it um, rises up these desires in us. Because we want a life like this. We are so often um, just, bothered by our weakness, by our flesh. By our just small mindedness. And we want to be like you. We want to have that meekness and that gentleness like you have it. The way that you treated that adulteress. Lord, we really want to hunger and thirst for justice. We want all of that. We don't want to worry. That just takes out the joy out of um, the day. We want to recognize you and all your beauty and greatness and we want to trust that our life is in your hand. We really want to manage to put all of our worries on you and to receive and to expect everything from you. Lord, that's what we want. We want that life in your power. We want the life with you, Lord. And we are so... Inadequate, but I thank you that you can um, do this in us. You're the one who's chosen us, who's called us. Lord please help us in that desire. you even give you give the wanting and you give the fulfillment. Lord I ask you if there's somebody who doesn't want us, I just ask you that you give him that desire not to stay the way we are but to let us be changed with your love and your grace, to turn into that image of your Son. Nothing else is worth living for. But you are worth it, Lord. That's the only thing that's worth longing for. I thank you that you're the one who um, brings that to fulfillment in us. No matter how weak we feel, how inadequate we feel, that's the the best predisposition. We want to ask you, come and change us, give us that life. Just to build that character in us, make us new, let us live the life that you called us to, that you liberated us to, far away from the sin that destroys us. We need you, Lord, and we thank you. We praise your holy name. Amen.